in the very last week of this series called Bulletproof. And throughout this series, we've explained how evil is real in our world. Uh, it's evil around us. And there's, it's something more than we as humans can cure. I think as a society, we've thought, well, maybe we can cure it. But we honestly know that we can't. Uh, we've seen it around us. You can watch it anytime on the nightly news. And even some of us have experienced evil, maybe even through destructive choices that others have made. And uh, here, here's where it kind of antes up. For anybody who decides to be a follower of Jesus, there is a fight that the devil brings our way. And I know that maybe some people think, Ryan, it's 2019. Are we talking about a literal devil here and like literal enemy? And the answer is yes. And we believe in it because Jesus believed in it. And we know that Jesus talked about a literal devil and literal evil. And the goal is of the enemy to destroy our life. He wants to destroy your family, your future, your faith. And uh, this is what Jesus said about all of this in John 10.10. He describes the devil this way. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus says, I have a plan for your life to be the fullest life possible in me. But I want you to know that the devil also has a plan. That it's not to give you a full life, it's to steal and rob everything good from you. And maybe you've felt those two paths at times colliding. I remember when I was 13, 14 years old, I had a couple friends that were going one direction and were beginning to make destructive choices and I had to decide in that moment, am I going to go with them and follow that path and where is that path going to lead me? In fact, we're doing a whole series on that uh, beginning this fall uh, called Destinations and, and it's some of the best things that we can think about and, you know, deciding where we want to be in our future is all about the path that we're currently on. And at 13, 14, I saw guys that were, that were moving down a path that I wasn't sure I wanted to go down. And maybe you've, you've had moments like that where you've had to decide, where is my future heading? And not even understanding maybe all the time how much the enemy is behind those things and wanting to destroy things in our life. Because for every single one of you, the enemy will work in different ways to take us out. So understanding that the enemy of our soul wants to take you out he wants to take me out. What are we going to do about that? How do we protect ourselves? That's really what this whole series has been about. Well, you know, a big problem uh, for all of us when we're talking about things of this nature is that oftentimes we're just too busy. We kind of race through our busy days. We're ill-equipped. We're unprepared or maybe even simply not aware of the fight that we are up against. And the Apostle Paul writes this letter 2,000 years ago to the followers of Jesus in Ephesus. And in this passage, he gives them and us today a key of how we can protect ourselves against the enemy that seeks to destroy us. And he gives us this metaphor this way in Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. And this is the passage we've been working through the last four weeks, and uh, then we're going to wrap it up today. But it begins this way. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Not your power, his power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, against the devil's plans. And this word put on, this is important because it doesn't mean it's something that you need to go acquire. These are things that God has already given to us, the tools that we need. They're already available to us and all we need to do is be mindful about putting them on and applying them in our life. And he goes on to say, and we talked a lot about this in week one, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, in other words, say, after saying all that, here's the advice I want to give you. Therefore, put on 
the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And so, in all of this, I think it's safe to assume your very first villain right here, that there is a spiritual battle taking place for our minds and our hearts, and the warning is that we need to be prepared. Everybody say, prepared? We need to be prepared. That the enemy has schemes and plans against us, and we have to decide how we're going to be prepared. Now, it's obvious from this passage, and in Paul's uh, time that he spent in prison and around the Roman army, uh, that he understood, uh, understood the armor that they put on. And so uh, this is Roman, and Roman's been helping us throughout this series. I appreciate him taking time again today to be, be with us. And, you know, he, Paul has given us this metaphor. He's given us this mental picture of what it means to be in a spiritual battle and how we can win. And two weeks ago, Jeremiah talked about how truth and righteousness protect us from the enemy. The belt of truth, knowing who we are in God and how important that is to defeat the lies of the enemy that come our way. Putting on the breastplate of righteousness to keep us from temptation, to keep us from the paths that would cause our life to veer into destructive ways. Um, and also understanding our, our right standing in God. And then um, last week, Jeremiah spoke impromptuly, which I just got to give him props. Uh, last week, I was planning on speaking, and what we weren't planning on is my son needing emergency appendix surgery. And uh, so we found out on Saturday night at about 11.30 at night that he was going to need surgery at some point on Sunday. We didn't know when. And so I called Jeremiah, and I said, here's my notes. You might want to look over these just in case I'm not there. And uh, at 7 in the morning, I called Jeremiah and said... Good luck, bud. You're on your own. All right. And uh, so thank you, Jeremiah, for stepping in. Thank you, Jeremiah. Great job. Just jumping in. I heard the content was fabulous. I don't know. I just, that's what I heard. But anyway, anyway, Cooper's doing great. He's a week into recovery, and uh, he's doing well. So, um, and so last week he talked about peace and faith and really how these two things work together, the shield of faith and our feet prepared with the gospel of peace. Right? How do we live in peace? How do we fight anxiety in our life? How do we have faith to move forward right, into things we hope for but we can't yet see? How can we do those things? And so I would just encourage you, if you missed any of the last three weeks, watch it back online. Go to river, riverwaychurch.com and you can watch those back as they kind of build together. And so this week and our final week, I want to talk about these last two things. The sword of the spirit, which is the Bible, and the helmet of salvation. And we will wrap this up. So let's begin with this helmet here. We know, thanks to Roman, that the helmet is designed to protect what? The head, right? I mean, if, if you got, like, you know, your, the top of your head cut off during battle, that would not be good for you, right? I mean, game over. And so what does the helmet of salvation look like? It's to protect your mind, to protect your brain. And without that, we'd be like any old regular Packer fan. And we can't have that, right? I mean, 
we've got to have our mind protected. <laughs> a few weeks ago, I had a lady come up to me after church, and, she, and she's straight face, and she's like, I'm upset with you, and I need to talk with you about something you said in your message. And I was like, Ugh! And she let it hang for like 30 seconds. She got me good. And after about 30 seconds, she said, I'm a Packer fan, and you made a Packer joke. <laughs> That was good. I mean, if you're a Packer fan, we do kind of love you. It's fine. It's whatever. Um, but truth be told, in all my years of pastoring, I know there's one way, major way that the enemy tries to defeat us in our mind. And it's this, and it's the next film in your notes. The enemy often wants you to believe that God hasn't accepted you as his child. He wants you to believe that. That even though, right, you're making the right steps, even though your, your sin is forgiven, even though you're growing in God, he wants you to believe that somehow in some way that God hasn't accepted you. Um, it's one of the biggest lies that he uses to roll around in your mind. And maybe you've heard things like this lie, or maybe you've thought these things, right? That God doesn't really accept me. That I've done far too much bad in order for God to truly love me. How could he accept me? Look at all the bad that I've done. You know, I'm not really saved. I mean, I don't know that I'm really going to go to heaven when I die. Maybe that's for other people that are more secure in their faith and have done better things than I have, but it's not for me. Right? And so you're, you're second-guessing this a lot. Uh, you know, when Jesus left this earth, he said, I'm going to return again, and I'm going to receive, you know, the, those that are dead in Christ will rise first, and those that are living will come to heaven with me. And, and it's called the rapture, that one day we believe Jesus will return again. And I can remember as a kid being so afraid, like if I walked into an empty house that somehow I'd miss the rapture, you know, like, you know, have I done enough? Does God love me? And I'd walk into an empty house and be like, Mom, Dad, anybody. And I thought, oh, no, it's gone. They're all gone. I got left behind. Maybe you've read that book series or something, Left Behind, you know, and, or maybe then I'd first see one of my siblings you know, and to be honest, it didn't give me a lot of comfort, you know, I mean, because honestly, I just thought back then there's no way that my siblings are going to heaven either. And so, you know, I, I had to like see my mom or dad to kind of be like, okay, I'm still good because they're for sure going to heaven, right? I mean, all right, they're good. I'm good, all that. But even as a kid, I remember even having some of these thoughts and even into adulthood, right, as you make mistakes, how often the enemy wants to play on that and say, God doesn't accept you. And how could God love you? On and on and on it goes. But here's the incredible truth that we find in Romans chapter 10 about how you and I know whose we are, about how we can know if we're going to heaven, how we can know that our sin is forgiven. It's actually quite simple. It's laid out. Romans 10, chapter, 9, um, chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, it says this. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you've declared that you recognize that he truly is who he said he is, he's the Son of God, and that you've made him the leader of your life, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be, what's that word? Saved. Simple as that. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And so here's your next fill-in. Our belief in Jesus as the Son of God and our decision to follow him is what saves us from sin and death. And that's it. It's really that simple, our belief that Jesus really is who he claimed to be, the Son of God, and we put our, our faith in him. We decide to follow him. We make him the leader and the Lord over our life. It saves us from sin and death. And so let me ask you, have you believed that Jesus is the Son of God? And have you made a decision to follow him and to keep following him? Then guess what? If you have, then let your mind be protected and put at ease. Put on the helmet of salvation. 
that God has received you and he accepts you. Now here's the truth. Some of us, we know this. But when we make mistakes, that's oftentimes when we kind of circle back on this whole idea. Does God really love me? Does he accept me? I mean, I've messed up like for the 30th time in the same way. I mean, I just, I feel like I'm not gaining victory in these areas or whatever it is. And you just think, man, I'm a loser. There's no way that God would love me and accept me. And that's why I'm so thankful for this passage found in 1 John 3 that talks about that exact spot that we've all been in. And look at this. It says, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence, right? If you've ever doubted, if you've ever had fear, here's how you can know that you belong to God and how your heart can be at rest even in the middle of your struggle. It goes on to say, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. He knows everything. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. I mean, what an encouraging verse. Even when our hearts condemn us, God's greater than your heart. right? Even God said, I have not come to condemn the world, but to give the world life through me. He's not come to tear you down. He's come to fill you up with new life and put you on a new path. And yet when it comes to salvation, it's this belief in Jesus and decision to follow him that counts. And that's it. Even when we fail, even when our heart condemns us and tells us that we're no good, God is bigger than that. He sees your heart and your desire to follow him. He sees your heart and that you truly do love him and want to do what's right. But this is where some of the confusion comes in. And I understand it, why it causes confusion when we're trying to put on the helmet of salvation and it's your next fill-in. To understand this truth, that salvation is a gift while sanctification is a process. Salvation is a gift while sanctification or the process of becoming more like Jesus is a process. And I was trying to figure out how I could best illustrate this and I thought of, Maybe one of my worst memories ever is waiting until like midnight on Christmas Eve four different times when my kid was getting a new bike and I realized the bike wasn't put together yet and I had to begin assembling a bike on Christmas Eve. Has anyone ever done this before, right? Not great timing, right? I mean, you're tired, you know, you just can't believe it. And then you get these instructions, you can't understand them and you're just trying to work your way through it and uh, maintain the joy of Christmas in and all. And it's very difficult to do. And so I was so thankful as my son, he just turned four, my, my last son just turned four yesterday. And here's what's so cool, is that as I was putting together his bike this last Christmas, I thought to myself, it's the last one I have to do. I mean, isn't this great? It gave me the true joy of Christmas. This is the last one that I have to put together. But it made me think about when you and I got our first bike. Do you remember when you got your first bike? Do you remember what kind it was? Right? My parents were super wealthy, which means we had the Huffy brand from Walmart. Right? Huffy, do you remember that? Do you remember what color it was? And you remember when you got that bike and you were like, oh my goodness, this is such an incredible gift. I can't wait for my independence. I can like drive a whole block away from my mom and dad if I wanted to. I mean, this is amazing. But your gift that was given to you was that bike. Learning to ride it was a whole different story, wasn't it? The first time you had to learn to ride the bike, right? Salvation is a gift. The work of Jesus changing us is a process of learning again and again and again to become more like 
him. And when you learned to ride that bike at first, it was wobbly. At times you fell. At times you like scuffed up a, a knee or an elbow, right, or a forehead, whatever it was. But the more you got the hang of it, the better bike rider you were. And that's why sometimes you can even see people further along on their faith journey and say, man, why, why do they seem to know more? Why do they seem to be, you know, temptation? Man, they, they don't struggle as much as I do. Or they, they don't seem to have as many wipeouts. Or this just seems to come a little easier. It's just because of time and working it out, this, this process that God's doing in our life. Right? Just like as you grew more and more and you got more accustomed to a bike. And then we take our kids to the state fair and they love to watch the BMX show, right? Now these are men and women that have really learned how to ride a bike. You know, tw- you know flips and twists and all these kinds of things. It's amazing. But they didn't start out that way. It became a process. And so in the same way for you and I, salvation, we put on this helmet, it's a gift from God. You can't earn it. There's nothing you could do. Not good enough steps. There's not enough hoops you could jump through. It's simply a gift through faith. But the process of sanctification, the process of God working in us is a whole other thing. And that's why Philippians 2, chapter chapter 2, verse 12 and 13 says this. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Look at this. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And here's what's amazing about this verse, and it leads us into sanctification. And, and, and there's one part of this, I mean, we just can't miss. It's so important. He does not say continue to work for your salvation. He didn't say you have to earn it. No, no, that's already a gift. Now he's saying the process is working out your salvation. It's God working in you, making you more like him again and again and again, and you fail and you get back up and you fail and you get back up and you learn more and you read more and you study more and all of a sudden you become more like his son. And that's what Paul's inviting us into. Hey, you don't have to work for your salvation, but work out your salvation. Continue to let it be a process in your life because every single one of us are in process. So don't give up. You will succeed and fail, but do not let the devil get you to thinking that you have lost your place with God. Your heavenly father loves you and he accepts you and he is on this journey with you and he is working things out in you that take time. So put on the helmet of salvation. And then this last piece of armor that we're gonna talk about as we wrap this up is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, scripture, it's the Bible. Now, it's great to have all this other armor, but how do we fight back? Because all this other armor up until this point has been defensive, right? But how do we go on the offensive? How do we fight back when we've lost truth of who we are in God, when we're tempted to sin and destroy our life, when we've lost our peace or lost faith in in God to be bigger than any situation we face? How do we fight back? That's a great question. And here's a question you need to ask every time you have a kind of question like that that will help you find the answer. Did you follow that? And here's on your next fill-in. A great question for any question we have in life is this. What did Jesus, how did Jesus do that? How did Jesus do that? He is the representation of God the Father in the flesh. How did Jesus do that? Any question you have in life, open the New Testament, begin to search. What did Jesus say about that? How did Jesus handle that? It's a great way to do it. And so the question becomes, how did Jesus fight back against the devil? That's a good question. And in Luke chapter 4, we read this account of how Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days while the devil tempted him. Literal devil in the wilderness with Jesus alone being tempted. 
And how did Jesus fight back? Here it is, your next feeling. With every offer of temptation, Jesus defeated the devil through quoting Scripture. Through quoting Scripture. Why? Why did he use that as as his offensive weapon? Because Scripture is full of God's promises for our life and helps us bring alignment in the truth of who we are in him and what he says about us. It gives us power to defeat evil in our life. And who wouldn't want that kind of help? Right? Some of us have thought, well, maybe the Bible is just words on a page that was written thousands of years ago and has no bearing on my life. But here's actually how Scripture defines itself in Hebrews 4.12. It says, for the word of God is, what are these words? Living and what? Living and powerful. Living and powerful. And sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Scripture defines itself like this, that it is a two-edged sword, sharper than this. Now imagine if old Roman here went out to the battlefield and he didn't have one of these. How long would he last? Not very long, right? And the Bible is our weapon to be able to fight back against the lies and temptations and destruction of the enemy. It's our weapon. The Bible is alive, is the most powerful, your next film, the Bible is the most powerful weapon we have to defeat the devil's attacks in our life. See, that's what the Bible does for us. It gets in every part of us. It helps strengthen us. It gives us encouragement. It speaks to us. It corrects us. It challenges us. It protects us. And when we're reading the Bible, when we're reading Scripture on a regular basis, it becomes a weapon for us to keep us close to God and on the right path. But the problem is for many of us is that we don't use the Bible. We don't use it. And for some of us, maybe the only, I mean, the only recollection you have of the Bible is the big living room one on your grandma's table, and all you knew was to not put anything on top of it. That was the only rule. Don't put anything on top of it, right? But you never opened it. And maybe you haven't. Or maybe you know it's there and it's available to you, but maybe you think, you know what, I'm too busy. I'm just too busy. I mean, could you imagine if Roman got out to the battlefield and everybody said, hey, dude, where's your sword? He said, oh, man, I was really busy this morning. I have time to grab it. Buddy, in about 10 minutes, you're going to wish you took the time to get that sword. Right? Same way in our lives. Oftentimes we go through battles in our life and we'll wish we had been better protected for the fight that was in front of us. Maybe say, Ryan, I, to be honest, I just haven't read it much because I don't think I'll understand it. Can I tell you something honest? There's a ton of it I don't understand. And it's something that we're learning and we're growing in. And there's so many tools in 2019 to help us understand it. Or you begin to read and just say, God, would you speak to my heart? And you just read until you bump into something that you do understand. And then you say, God, how can I apply this to my life? Or maybe you say, Ryan, I just, I've never really cared about the Bible. I just thought it was some ancient book and that was for other people, people more spiritual than me. And my prayer for you is that God would open your eyes to see the reality of the battle that you're in and how important scripture can be in your life. You see, when Roman first got his sword, I bet he didn't really even know how to use it. It probably was intimidating to him. But over time, as he trained and as he learned, this became an incredible weapon that ended up saving his life again and again and again. And how many times the truth of Scripture can permeate our hearts 
and let us live another day to keep going strong with our Heavenly Father. And so, I would encourage you. I mean, if you, almost everybody now has a smartphone. Go to your app store and download, just type in Holy Bible, and this Bible app will pop up, and I'm telling you, it's never been easier. So many different reading plans on anything that you, you could possibly imagine, things you're wondering about or struggling with or fighting against. Daily verses that can pop up on your phone, you know, uh, different kinds of different um, devotional books on Amazon you can order, you know, for yourself or your kids. I mean, you can get in a small group, get in a Bible study saying, hey, I want to learn Scripture. I'm going to get up every, you know, in the morning and spend 15, 20 minutes just reading. Before I go to bed, I'm going to take some time to read over my lunch break. I'm going to take some time to read because it's so important. And the reason I want to encourage you in that because there's so much at stake for us. There's so much at stake in your family. There's so much at stake in your marriage. There's so much at stake with your kids and with your grandkids. There's so much at stake that we cannot afford to go into battle unprepared. And so spend some time each and every day putting on God's armor so you can keep standing. And then after all of this, peace and truth and faith and righteousness and salvation in the word, Paul ends this whole passage of scripture this way in Ephesians 6.18. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And that word supplication I have in your notes is just asking for something earnestly. That's what it means. Asking for something earnestly. He says, listen, after you've done all of this and you're prepared, spend time talking with your heavenly father just like you would anyone else. Persevere in prayer, which means don't give up on prayer and pray earnestly. And I'm telling you what, there's power when you begin to pray for your kids and you pray for your spouse and you pray over your financial situation and you pray about your future and schooling or the temptations and the things that are taking you sideways, we can pray about all of these things and God will come to our help. You see your last fill-in. Praying reminds us that God is the source of strength for the battle we're in. Remember how Paul started this? It's how we ended. God, it's in your mighty power, in your strength, not mine. And reminds God when we pray that we are committed to following him. Saying, God, I'm reminding myself in this moment as I'm facing what I don't want to face in this relationship or this thing at work or this thing with my kids, God, or this financial thing or this temptation, I'm recognizing that I'm not strong enough. I need your help. And this has got to be in your power. Help me to put on your full armor. And God, I just, it's a reminder saying, Heavenly Father, I'm following you. I'm taking your lead. You're the leader of my life. And we put all this on and we operate in prayer. We will be prepared for Satan's attempts to attack us and take us out.